Thank you, Sammy. You guys know that's my boy. <laughs> it, it, he still stops my heart, you know? What a sweet Get myself back together. Our scripture lesson is found in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Bless, O oh Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now I want to ask you a question. How many people in your life do you think really listen to you. I mean with close intention, serious attention, purposefully listening to understand you. My guess by your chuckle is not many. Most of us listen while we're trying to formulate a response to a question that hasn't been asked. Or we're preparing our next point to be made. Listening, really, really listening at its root is carefully hearing and attempting to comprehend the meaning of the words spoken by another. So genuine listening is probably the most important ingredient there is in having healthy relationships, in having strong leadership skills, and in thriving organizations. Actively listening is a cultivated specific skill. Who of us doesn't remember Stephen Covey's fifth habit? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. In short, he points out that our educational socialization process has long placed an emphasis on being able to be read well, to write, to speak, but the skills of listening aren't really our forte. Real listening requires empathy, 
the desire and willingness to see the world from another's perspective. I won't ask you to tell me how many times someone offered you empathy this week. Waggle, which is an engagement software used by many organizations, recently asked 500,000 business leaders, HR leaders, and consultants whether they believe that listening to their employees and incorporating their ideas is critical to their organization's success. As you can imagine, 97% said, you betcha. Then they go back and ask the second question was, does your once a year survey of your employees get the job done? Only 38% said yes. Which is indicative of the fact that there's a gap between our intention to hear others and the actual practice we have of listening. Isn't it interesting that stopping to listen is the rub in our lesson this morning? When Jesus comes to Bethany, Martha demonstrates the most lavish hospitality by welcoming Jesus into her home, the home that she shares with her sister Mary. She busies herself with taking care of her guests. Meanwhile, Mary plops herself down at the feet of Jesus, listening as it were that she is a disciple like the gods. Everyone present would have noticed that Mary assumed this posture of a disciple, and somewhere it's got Martha's nerve. Jesus seems happy as a peach to have her there. And notice, Jesus never seems to limit who a disciple can be. But the pleasant story takes a sharp turn when Martha has had enough. Distracted by her many tasks, she comes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that I'm in the kitchen trying to feed this crowd? Martha, Mary is sitting there at your feet. Won't you tell her to come help me? Jesus says, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Oh, you're worried and distracted about many things. And aren't we? We know that worrying does no good, and much of the worry we have is about things in the larger scheme of things. And yet we cannot seem to stop our anxious thoughts and our frantic activity. And you can bet when we're in that spot, we certainly can't listen. Now it's true that much of our busyness and distraction stems from noble intention. We want to provide for our families. 
We want to give our children every opportunity to enrich their lives. We want to serve our neighbors and, yes, serve the Lord. Indeed, where would the church be without its Marthas? Perform the task of hospitality and service so vital to making the church a welcoming and well-functioning community. Where would our ministries be without the Marthas, both male and female, who make it happen? 38 people are on their way to ASP this morning doing their Martha best to make a difference in the world. And yet, if all our activities leave us with no time to be still, to stop in the Lord's presence and hear God's word, we're just as likely as Martha to end up anxious and troubled, offering a kind of service that is devoid of love and certainly joy. With resentment. Now, in spite of the way this story is often heard, I am not convinced that Jesus is suggesting that one necessarily pick between service or sitting and listening. It just can't be either or. All of us, much of the time, have to be doers, as Martha. Service is good. It's lovely. In fact, it is a needful thing. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Jesus is going to sit down at Martha's table and enjoy his supper. He says nothing here to undercut the idea that hospitality and service are noble <laughs> endeavors and the right things for disciples to do. The problem started when Martha seems to think that hospitality is somehow more urgent and needful than hearing and pondering the word of God. That's when she gets off track. It's even possible, I think, that Jesus would have said nothing to rebuke Martha if he had, she had just not taken the opportunity to scold Mary and get him in the middle of the family quarrel. Yet it's only when Jesus intervenes, when he stops Martha from spinning, that Martha is able to listen to the story she's telling herself. Because we do tell ourselves the story going on in our lives. Guy Wentz, who is a psychologist, says that our minds and our feelings are not particularly trustworthy friends. They're more like a really moody friend who can be totally supportive one minute and really unpleasant the next. He goes on to share a story of a woman who had been married 20 years with divorced in a, a bitter, bitter kind of experience, and over time, she's ready to date again. 
She met a lovely person online. They decide finally to meet for a cup of coffee. They show up. She, oh, she's really excited now. This guy seems to be into her. Okay, so she buys a new dress. Shows up at the coffee shop. They drink their coffee for 10 minutes. He stands up and says, I'm not interested, and walks out. Can you imagine the horror she felt? She was so hurt, she couldn't move. So she called a friend. Here's what the friend said. Well, what did you expect? You have big hips. You have nothing interesting to say. Why would a handsome, successful man like that ever go out with a loser like you? Shocking, right? That a friend could be so cruel? It would be shocking until I tell you that that friend who said it is the woman herself. She's saying it in her own heart and her own mind. She's spinning. That's something we all do. We start thinking of all our faults and our shortcomings, and we wish they weren't there, but we wish we were somehow not able to call ourselves out. And maybe it wouldn't be so harsh, but we do it. This is another way of saying that we seldom criticize others, my friend. We seldom criticize others unless something is hurting us. Martha's service isn't the issue. It's the story she's telling herself. Jesus has identified that Martha is feeling hurt and stressed and undervalued. But that's the story that has to stop within her. So what is the real problem? It's that she has become worried and distracted. Meaning she's feeling pulled apart and dragged in different directions. Her distraction and worry have left no room for the important part of hospitality, which is to pay attention to your guest. She's so distracted, she breaks all the rules by trying to embarrass her sister in front of Jesus and asking him to intervene. She even goes so far as to accuse Jesus of not caring about her. Her worry and distraction prevent her from being truly present. And it drives a wedge between her and her sister, between Jesus and herself, and she's missed altogether the one needful thing of hospitality. We Marthas are invited in this story to figure out our worried and distractedness so that we don't lose ourselves and miss the master. Until Martha has learned to let it go, 
till we can let it go, perhaps we will all find ourselves missing again and again in our frantic pace that the Lord is present and the gospel is sitting in our living room. You'll get a kick out of this. There's a study done by Princeton that figured out that when we are worried about finances, we lose 13 points in our IQ. It's equal to the loss of a night's sleep. All of us know that the cortisol hormones up in our bodies during episodes decreases brain mass and creates unwanted physical consequences. Stress shortens our lives and negatively impacts life in general. But here's the kicker. Most of what we worry about never actually happens. 85% of the time, our worries are simply worries. In addition, most people handle a crisis better than they think they ever would, and most of us are learning valuable lessons during those difficult times. Worry begets worry, creating a vicious that only escalates in giving in to the habit. Consider this. The part of the brain that has in its center where we get worry and fear is called the amygdala. They call it our reptile brain. It has the potential intellect of a toddler. <laughs> Do you want your toddler and you to be making life decisions? Think about it. Wasn't Martha's response the response of a child? Jesus must stop her spiral. Stop and listen, Miss Martha. So if the story Martha is telling herself is inaccurate and the worried and distracted side of her has made her responses poor, how does she stop and listen? How do we begin to slow down, stop, listen? Well, there's a clue right there in the scripture. We're tempted by the wording of our text this morning to understand that this is Martha's home, and it is. She is, by virtue, the host or hostess. But it's only when we hear Jesus say that there is one thing needed that we realize who the host actually is. This is Jesus' gig. It may be Martha's home, but Jesus is there serving the main meal. Jesus as host has abundant gifts to give. He's offering the water that will keep you from ever having to go back to the well. He's offering the life that never dies. 
Make no mistake, in the Roman Catholic tradition, when they hand you that piece of bread, it's called the host. Jesus is offering the bread of life in this house. He's the worm serving. Understood this way, the contrast in the scene is not between woman's work within the kitchen or the disciples' study at the feet of Jesus, but between the ability to identify the many things and the one. The many things are the distraction. This needs to be carefully heard this morning, my friends. For the distinction between the one and the many is an important philosophical discussion determining the one thing that holds life together. Even an individual life is a mass of tangled complications and contradictions, but in the midst of it all, what is the one thing that holds your life together? In this scene, Mary has chosen the one thing that will hold everything else together. Sitting at the feet of the teacher, she's discovered the one thing that keeps life focused, the one thing that draws her to his feet, the one thing that stops the spinning, and somewhere in her bones, she knows that listening to Jesus is the one thing that will change her life and change her story. I don't know if the name Richard Dunbar rings a bell in your life, but Richard was a United Methodist pastor, now retired for a number of years. He served Asbury North United Methodist Church. During his time there, uh, they needed to rehab the fellowship hall in the kitchen. It was desperately in need of change. When it was all said and done, they had a dedication service in which the district superintendent came. You know, there are remarks made by all kinds of folks. But during Richard's remarks, he reached under the podium and took out a cup. It was filled with red Kool-Aid. How many times have you seen notice in the bulletin or your work, don't take red Kool-Aid to your activities, right? You don't want it spilled on the carpet because it never comes out. Richard Dunbar stood there with his cup of Kool-Aid and he turned it over. They let him live. He said, now we no longer need to be worried or distracted by our desires to keep this fellowship hall as a shrine. Now we can sit at the master's feet and learn together and serve together. He had figured out how often we as a church can forget the one thing that holds life together. 
So what keeps you this morning from stopping to listen? What in your story prevents you from knowing that you are God's beloved child? That whether you're serving or studying or worshiping, God adores you. What will help you stop being distracted and worried long enough to hear the voice of Jesus tell you, sit with me a while. Let me love you. Let me show you the better part. Together, let's remember the main thing and keep it that way. Thanks be to God. The scriptures remind us, if it were easy, it wouldn't be 